here on Tani Talks Radio, the share where we talk a topic for the week for the audience members to keep. We're picking up with the idea of being committed. Last week we talked about different aspects of the full aspect of being committed. Being committed to Torah, being committed to the Torah lifestyle, of being involved in chesed and Torah and actions, and being committed to the most important relationship in your, in your life, the spouse. And of course the children, which are a very close second, but they say you take care of the spouse first and then the kids second, and the kids will learn that. And after that, you go take care of the world as itself. But first and foremost, you have to take care of those things and understand that everything else has to take a backdrop, the technology and the different aspects of your life, those things that should come second. We're going to pick up with OU.org, where Shia Ostrov points this out, especially with the idea of technology. There's a major problem with the explosion of technology and information overload in today's western society the contemporary world we live in is saturated and with what a close friend of the author has coined as weapons of mass distraction there's hardly a moment and that's a great phrase weapons of mass distraction wmds mass distraction there is hardly a moment where we do not feel pulled in countless directions by the iPhones, professional commitments, interests and hobbies, social networks and the latest headlines. I think back to the time where we used to just have those flip phones, no WhatsApp, no apps, no internet, no problem. It used to be just texting or calling. Really, if you remember back in the day, even in my time as a little kid, there was just a phone line and people would have extensions to the same phone line. Get off the phone. I want to use it. It's my turn. No, it's my turn. Get off the phone. He just had a turn. He just had a turn, but I want my turn. There used to be just a phone line. There used to be just a landline back in the day. Then, of course, the cell phone was introduced as we were kids. You know, I... I didn't get my cell phone until I went to high school once I wasn't within the town anymore, once I wasn't in the community anymore. A lot of people have this idea of going to not have the phone until 8th grade. I actually think it's a great idea. I think it's a greater idea to push it to ninth grade, really. How long can we hold off on the phones? And back in the day when there was just the phones, there was just the actual aspect of talking to a voice talking to a person, talking to a human. When you go on these Instagram things or these Pinterest things, these Facebook things, it's all about the reels and it's the videos, the 30-second things, because nowadays concentration, ADHD, people can't listen or focus for beans. That's why when I try to sign people up for podcasts, I encourage them against the 15, 20, 30-minute podcasts a day because people just don't have the attention. People just don't have the ability to commit to listen and stay focused for the episode. I tell them if it's a daily thing, try to keep it to 5 to 15 minutes. And if you can, give it an audio bite. Give us an audio bite, 3 to 5 minutes. And even better is the brilliant idea that Meaningful Minute had that it's literally a minute. I thought that was fascinating, fantastic. I even took that idea upon myself for this season. The DAF, I switched over last year to give a DAF lesson a day in a minute your way. I try to keep it to a minute to two minutes. And the OTMM, last year we called it <coughs> the OT perspective, and we switched over to the minute perspective. And this year we have the OT minute mindset. I think it's really great trying to give a minute message on different things in my life, whether I found a cool way to organize things, a cool way to do a fun family activity, or whether you know different functional ways of going about things, easier ways to cook or to clean. Minutes, because we don't have the ability. Why? Because it's all technology's fault. In the olden days, there was only the landline, the phone line. You had a phone and that's it. People don't even have landlines nowadays. I'm a huge fan of a landline. I got one when we moved over to our house, especially for business or other purposes. But then the cell phones came into usage and they used to be those 
really reliable ones that were flip phones that were indestructible. You could throw them against the wall in a fit of range. They wouldn't, in a fit of rage, they wouldn't break. They wouldn't be destroyed on you. They were reliable. Nowadays, they're made out of cheap plastic, and they say it's out of class. It's not really that good. I get these very fancy cases. You know, we get them from OtterBox or whatever. They're very strong, and they're very protective. But even so, don't drop them. Don't drop the iPhones. Don't drop the Androids. They're not that strong. But all these distractions came about. Back in the day, you could just text someone. You could call someone, period. And I think there is something to that. If there was a way to just have texting, emailing, and phoning, I think I would, I would, I would very much be into it. I think internet is a mass distraction. It's really helpful, obviously, you know, to look up things and to find things and to order things. But other than that, you know, if we could have a way of just having those big three, I do a lot of emails, of course, a lot of texting and calling, and WhatsApping is great. If we could just have those four things, I think that would be the best ideal type of a phone: WhatsApp, email, phone. Text. That's it. How cool would that be? I think they have that technology already. And if you need to have all the apps and all the like, la- the apps are great and whatnot. But if there's a way to limit it, that would be even better. There's just so much mass distraction. There's hardly a moment where we don't feel pulled in countless directions by the phones, by the internet, by technology, by professional commitments, by interests and hobbies, social networks, and the latest headlines. While many of these commitments and concerns are legitimate aspects of our lives, the overall effect creates an ongoing sense of tension. They can easily become impatience, agitation, anxiety, worry, and insecurity. Under these conditions, we never really feel settled or peaceful within ourselves. Yet we have come to consider this on a We've come to consider this unsettled state of mind normal. We tend to worry about job security, Facebook friends, maintaining our workout schedule, the sense that life is slipping by if we don't keep up, and countless other concerns that pervade our everyday thoughts and feelings. This becomes our default, and many of us are unaware that life can be any different. How often does a person feel, I haven't caught up with the newest season of this show, or I haven't read the newest posts, the newest tweets, the newest reels from this person? Does your life really feel any different once you catch up? Does your life really feel more full when you catch up? I don't think so. The author explains that the answer in his eye is menuchas nefesh. Menuchas nefesh is a state of mind that empowers us to develop relationships that are deeply meaningful and fulfilling and the best relationship of all obviously is with Hashem but also is with the spouse everyone should be zilcha to have a spouse and keep a spouse and maybe from Shana should be to have children as well to develop relationships with and see them grow and grow them up but Menuchas and Nefesh is really about the tranquil soul no single word or concept can possibly capture the complexity and depth of its meaning. When we cultivate menuchas and nefesh in our lives, we are learning to achieve a state of mind that is focused, clear, calm, decisive, and very secure. Essentially, it is the opposite of fragmentation. Keeping a clear, calm-faced mind means to focus and prioritize who and what is most important. The spouse, then the kids, then the job, then the extended people in your network, in your community, and other commitments. But first and foremost is the spouse, and then the kids, and then the rest. Then everything can fall into order, realizing what is really the most important commitments, finding what's really the most important as the commitment, understanding that the spouse comes first. 
That is the most important. H.com also points out in an article from Todd Jacobs and Dr. Peter Lin, first define what a marriage is. Jewish mystical sources define marriage as a unique coming together of two people, each of whom has committed to do everything possible, everything possible, that they can to give to that other person the life that they want and deserve. Two individuals who often could not be more different to each other can come together with a shared sense and set of ideals and commitment to build something together that transcends the two of them. Whereas before, they were two halves of a whole. Together, they come together to be a unifying whole of one person. The unity they achieve can, through thick and thin, offer a lifetime of intimacy, comfort, support, friendship, and well-being. The Torah view of marriage is that rather than focusing on why, what I can get, strange coincidence that the Hebrew word for divorce sounds the same, what I can get, which I never know from such things, my marriage will largely be defined by what I can give. Marriages don't just happen. They have to be built. Again, I'm no marriage expert. I could just talk from personal experience what I try to do in my life with my spouse, with my wife. We have to give. You love where you give. The idea of giving, the root of Ahava, we say this often in many shirim, Rabbi Dessler explains, the root of Ahava is Hav, to give. It's not 50-50. You give 50, I give 50. You give 100 and you give a hundred. Both have to give a hundred percent the whole time in order to be really giving, really powerful. You love where you give. In reality, our sages teach us that we love where we give. The more I give, the more I am generous, the more of myself I invest into the other, the more I expand myself and find myself there. That's where I will really feel. In that process, my healthy love of self, the healthy love of self, expands to include the other and creates real oneness. It is the complete opposite of taking or demanding or expecting. If you never expect things in life, you'll be much happier. You can't take things for granted. You can't expect that anyone or anything will really come through for you. In the end, you really need to take care of things yourself. There's a famous phrase, you want to get things done, you do it yourself. I famously live by that phrase all the time. Even after my wife had an accident in June, you know, she was chaperoning the girls and the, the bus stopped short. She flew five feet in the air, smashed her spine, smashed her head, has not been the same since. And um, day by day, not been much better. Never really been the same, but who really stepped up? Who really came through? Not the place where she was working. Not many people in the town. Here and there people found out. But isn't it sad that not many people came through in life? Really difficult. So in the end, just like everything else, I have to step up and do the best I can myself. Juggling all the children. Juggling how much I could do for her. You know, the week off I had for President's, uh, for Xmas week, I drove her every day. I dropped her off. I picked her up. People ask my wife, does your husband work here? No, he doesn't work here, but he tries to do what he can to give. Obviously, I've always done the house stuff, cooking and cleaning and whatnot, letting her relax and send the couch to recuperate and to get better as much as we can day by day, little by little. You have to do what you can to give. And this is not even accident notwithstanding. In a healthy, regular sense of the life, everybody should be happy and healthy and safe. 
In a regular life, how much does each spouse give? Is it expected that the wife does 100%? Is it expected that the husband does 100%, notwithstanding the accident? Again, how much do we do? How much do we give? How much do we contribute to our life? You know, if if I'm cooking, then my wife takes care of the homework for the kids and makes sure that they're tested and whatnot and, you know, interacts and makes sure she has her own job. She's also in grad school doing a lot herself. There has to be a way that there has to be good giving. Too much is done where people are just taking and not giving. You have to want to give. The more you give, the more I invest, the more you will see. You want to really love your spouse. You need to give and give and give. Rabbi Blach points out on H.com an important key point to remember. Key ideas. Rabbi Eliyahu Eliezer Dessler, a famous rabbi, Talmudic scholar, and Jewish philosopher of the 20th century noted the striking truth that love increases by giving. The more we give, the more we love. That explains the striking anomaly that parents normally love their children more deeply than their offspring loves them. Not in spite of the fact that parents have done more for their children than the reverse, but precisely because of it. Number one, you have to figure out and realize that love isn't a noun. It's an action word. It's a verb. I'm in love is passive. I love you, saying to your spouse, is active. The Hebrew word for love, I'll say it again, ahava, has as its two-letter root, Rabbi Dessler explains in Strive for Truth, the word hav, give, preceded by the letter aleph, which means I will give, ahav, I will give. True love is far more than an emotion. Loving is doing and giving. It's acting out of concern for another's well-being. It is an affirmation of our willingness to give. You also have to realize that the opposite of love isn't hate, it's indifference. Elie Wiesel captured a profound truth. The opposite of art is not ugliness, it's indifference. The opposite of faith is not heresy, it's indifference. The opposite of life is not death, it's indifference. The opposite of love is not hate. It's indifference. Because hate is an emotion. Love is an emotion, an acting verb, an acting emotion. But indifference is a lack of emotion, a lack of caring. It's even crueler than not having the love or having the hate. It's having no passion at all, no feeling at all. Very cold. We should never know from such things. Antonyms help us better understand the real meaning of words. We've established that love is a verb, an idea that needs to turn feelings into actions. Take it a step further and identify love's greatest enemy. Marriages aren't most often destroyed by acts of war between partners. Like plants that need constant watering, marriages wither from lack of basic attention. Marriages wither from the lack of the basic attention that human beings require to combat the fearful state of solitude we shall never know from such things. That's why there's no such thing as falling out of love. What a crazy concept. You fall out of caring and sharing, out of communicating and connecting, out of recognizing the importance of taking the time to appreciate moments we have together. And then we wonder... Whatever happened to love, it needs care, it needs concern, it needs input, it needs effort. 
you have to put in the effort. I want to go away for my for a night with my wife. I have to put in the effort. We have to find the time, and hopefully, this year we hope to go away for a night because it's important to reconnect. You want to go on a date with the wife. You have to find the babysitter. Yeah, it costs an extra couple of bucks, and one day the kids will be old enough to watch themselves. But it takes effort. It takes reward. But the with the effort comes the reward. Each night, each day, sit down and set aside time. I said this last week. I said this all the time. I'll say it every day, every week, if you have to. Every night, you should sit down and do something together. I don't care if it's four hours. I don't care if it's 14 minutes or 30 minutes. Really, you know, the best relationship in life should be, halavai, it should be the whole night together. But don't sit and watch a movie by yourself in the living room when your wife is sitting at the table doing something else. Don't sit and watch something that only you care about. Find something you both care about. You can watch stuff yourself at any other time, you know, on your lunch break, on the train. You know, when she's fast asleep and you, for some reason, have insomnia, you have too much energy. So watch then. Do your own interest then. I talked about this last week. You need to make sure to first and foremost give to your spouse and then give to yourself. Perfect example today here in the winter, we had a legal holiday, so my wife and the kids are at school. I'm home with the toddler. I did me. They all were at school or at work. I gave myself time to play my guitar for myself with my kid for two hours. I didn't play Dafka when there's mayhem in the house. I didn't play Dafka when my wife needs my help. I didn't play Dafka when everyone's tantruming. I played when everyone's at school or work. It's just me. My time, I'm not taking away from anything else. My kid, my toddler's loving it. You know, special time with the toddler. She loves the guitar. I played a good two hours, but it wasn't to the detriment of my wife. Yes, I have my own shows. I love superhero shows. I love mystery shows and cop shows. You know, I love house hunting shows, especially tiny house shows. But I'm not going to watch that to the detriment of my wife. My wife and I find stuff to watch together. It was previously cooking shows. Now we're watching a comedy. Once she falls asleep... Then I have time to watch myself or to catch up myself, catch up on my messages. People are always checking their WhatsApps and their emails. It shouldn't be to the detriment of the wife or the kids. What really grinds my gears, you know, a little bit of a pet peeve of mine, is when people come to pick up and they're on the phone. You haven't seen your kids for seven hours. You can't put that call later. You can't check that text message later. You can't answer them later. Not when you first catch your kids. We read about this last week in a different way. You can check it in the morning when you wake up. You check it during your lunch break. You check it, you know, during a different break. Check it on the train home and check it much later at night. There's nothing earth-shattering that you're missing that can't wait a couple of hours. The wife and the kids first and foremost. The spouse and the kids first and foremost. If someone missed your call, they'll leave a message if it's really important. You got to keep the focus. You got to keep the ability. I actually put my phone on Do Not Disturb. At work, you know, I see my sessions. I go straight this year. I try to go straight for four hours or so. And maybe I'll take 10 minutes here or there just to get a little water, to get a little snack. But nothing earth-shattering goes through except my wife. I take her off of Do Not Disturb. So if she really needs something, her message will come through. Her phone calls will come through. But everything else, there's a way to do this on the iPhone, by the way. It's fascinating. It's in focus. The focus settings you could set Do Not Disturb and you could put exceptions. So the exception is the wife. She could always get through. God forbid there's an emergency. I'll always know right away that she's messaging me. But 
all the other messages can wait. The four hours when I check my messages, it's great. It's liberating. I feel like nobody could bother me. I could focus on the kids. I could focus on the sessions. It's wonderful. And then, you know, it's not to the detriment of the kids. Even the kids are getting, like, into the phone. They're very curious. Who's messaging dad? Who's on the WhatsApp? What's going on? I see the, the kosher food stories are coming up. Dad, you see you missed a message? It's okay. I'll check the messages later. You have to understand, put the moments together, the, the actions together. It needs constant attention. Watch your stuff later. Take care of your hobbies later. Play the guitar a different time. The whole week when I was off and they all were in school, that was great. During the day, everyone else was in work and school. I could play it to my heart's content, but not to the detriment of anyone else. I love to podcast. I make sure first my wife and I hang out, and then I have my podcasts where I do most of them for the week, and that's it. That's my hour or so, and the whole rest of the week I don't do it anymore. I try to help people podcasting during breaks or whatnot, different times that it's not affecting my wife and kids. You have to juggle things. Marriages need the constant putting them first. You go to the bagel store. Classic example. I went to the bagel store this morning. You know, we wanted to thank the security guards for helping my wife the past couple of weeks. It's been extra hard. Her back has given out even more recently, so they needed some help. We pushed her around the wheelchair a couple of days, and now she's using a walker a couple of days. And um, it'll be wonderful for more people to check in on her, of course, but the who, whatever, it is what it is. But they actually, you know, were very helpful. I drove her to the back, so she had less, you know, needing to be wheeled or walked to the classroom and then I, I drove her back and forth so we brought a couple of cookies and some orange juice very simple to thank the security guards very simple to thank you know you have to put in the effort you have to put in the appreciating the wine but when I went to the bagel town I didn't just selfishly go and get myself a Danish I thought what does my wife want so she told me exactly which muffin she wanted I thought what do my kids want I got them each a little cinnamon roll and we also drove a different kid today got her a cinnamon roll too and you got to go, you got to think, what would they like? Sometimes people go shopping and they literally only think about themselves. And I'm like, that's anathema. It should be anathema to our nature. How could people think like that? I'm only going to shop for myself. I'm not going to think what my wife would like, what my kids would like. You know, my wife didn't tell me on the list what to get, but I know she loves those gluten-free wraps. So I'm going to add it to the list. She didn't tell me she wants orange juice, but the, the sweetness of the orange juice really helps her at the end of a long day. I'm going to get that too got to think about your kids and your wife in mind. You know, my kids told me the other week they love that new snack. Let's try to get another one for them. Let them have a nice little treat. They really love that candy bar. They really like that thing. Let's keep them in mind. you got to appreciate the moments. Think about them. Put them first and foremost in your mind. You know, I'm thinking about what to get myself this or that. But, you know, my wife would really love X, Y, or Z. My kids would really love X, Y, or Z. You have to do what you can. Love begins with passion and thrives with perseverance. Like any important project, it can't be taken for granted. It requires constant work and constant effort and constant attention. And its greatest enemy is indifference. My wife says to me often, you know, this is very unusual and very beautiful. What we have most people at the end of a long day... They go their different ways. The guy watches his uh, horror flicks or his sports stuff, and the wife watches her rom-coms, and that, that's what they do for the night hours. And I'm like, really? That really should be anathema to everyone's nature. After the long day, when the kids are in bed, that's prime time to spend time together. Yes, I could take a second job or a third job, and she could take another job. 
But why? That's prime time to flourish. Looking back at the years, I'm never going to think, I wish I had so much more money. I wish I had such a bigger house. I wish I had so many more cars. Because that's not important. That's Narishkeit. Materialism. Gosh, it's nonsense. Stupid, stupid nonsense. Idiotic. No one needs that stuff. After 120 years, you look back and realize each day, I appreciated having that day with my wife, with my kids. Each day, I made sure to sit down. I could say we were married X number of years each night, barring any emergencies or crazy situations. Each day, we sat down, we watched together, we laughed together, we lived together. We really spent time together. How wonderful. Each day, I made sure to text and check in with her. My break, the first message I want to check and respond is hers. You know, each thing we have to do, we have to give. We have to nurture. You never look back and say, I wish I worked more hours. How ludicrous. How backwards. I wish I had a bigger house. No. No one says that. Looking back on regrets in their life, people say, I wish I had more time with my spouse, with my with my kids growing them up. I wish I had more time, you know, being there for bedtime and whatnot. People who work the late hours, I don't know how they do it. I wouldn't trade off for anything. We need the ability to be home at 4 o'clock. Yes, I leave at 7 a.m., but the, the work day in the DOE is wonderful. I'm home by 4 o'clock. You know, I can work on dinner. I could serve them dinner. I could do bath time. I could do bath time, and I could do laundry time. Yes, it's difficult juggling everything, especially now with the injury, but it's wonderful to be able to, to give like that and to have the priorities straight. And people used to, like, harp on me. Why do you do so much? Why do you do so much? Why do you do so much? Isn't that backwards? Halavai, everyone should try to give. Halavai, everyone should be really committed. Be committed. In part two here, we talk about really be committed. Really give. Really go above and beyond. Really do what you can. Have your priorities straight. It's a blessing to be home at 4 o'clock. It's very unusual for a working person to be home at 4 o'clock. And my wife has even better hours than me. She gets to be home even earlier. But it's a blessing to do so. And the, and the job comes with built-in vacations. It comes with you know pay throughout the year. It comes through with the benefits and the great hours. To be home by then is fantastic. I love it. can't imagine working a job where you have to leave, you know, 7, 38, and you don't get home till 6 or 7. That's crazy. That's the, such a long part of the day. Really difficult. you got to put in the ability. you got to put in the effort. Love doesn't go from love to hate. It goes from love to boredom. God forbid it goes from love to silence, from love to neglect, from love to lack of attention, from love to indifference. These people in Hollywood and secular culture, why are they divorcing so much? I believe it's the indifference. They don't put in the effort. They don't put in the work. They don't put in the planting, the nourishing. They just think it's the grass is greener. I'll get another car. I'll get another wife. I'll get another relationship. This person doesn't make me happy in this minute, in this aspect. I don't want to work things through. I don't want to put in the effort. I'm not going to go through with it. How ludicrous. How backwards. You have to do what you can to put it into practice. Excuse me. You also need to realize that you need to make your love unconditional. The sages offer a profound insight. It's not if you visit me 16 times a year, you call me every 15 minutes, you do this, you do this, you do that, then I'll love you, then I'll give to you. Love is unconditional. I want to give to you no matter what, no matter when, no matter how. I know you're in difficult times. I'll send you the money. I'll send you the cash. I'll give you what you need. It's not conditional. X, Y, or Z. No, I will give to you as much as I can, as often as I can, whenever I can. I know you're in dire straits. I'll help you. 
in our town, in our community, many people are down on the times. You know, the rabbi goes around secretly adding money to different accounts to the supermarket, our local supermarket. He gives out gift cards. I know because we've had to need help throughout the times. Very open about it. Difficult times, difficult measures, inflation. It's not easy to make it week to week. It's not easy to make it paycheck to paycheck for many people. I feel even worse for other people in the DOE who make so much less than I do, and they have kids. I don't know how they make it. The measly paycheck they get is terrible. You have to understand things are unconditional, unconditional. The sages offer a profound insight into the difference between temporary and permanent love. And it's even better, by the way, when people do things like putting money in the account. It's not conditional. I don't have to go find a bank to deposit a check. The money is literally there. It's almost as if the rabbi zelled me the money or gave me the cash. Cash is best. Right away can be used. Right away can be perfect. Amazing. The sages talk to us the difference between temporary and permanent love. A love that is dependent on something. How often you see me. How often you talk to me. How often you come to me. Dependency. Conditional. When the condition ceases, the love ceases. If you depend on something, you make it dependent on something, when the thing ceases, the love also ceases. But a love that is not dependent on anything, that is not dependent, not conditional on anything, that love never ceases. That comes from Pirkei Avos, the best safer, in my opinion, of all time. We're currently working on the Living Lessons Family Edition. We're now doing an episode a week. It's just much harder nowadays to do that, so we'll finish when we finish. Temporary love is love that is based on a particular feature of the beloved or a particular feature of the relationship. You know, he comes visit me for Easter, I'll give him some money at Easter. You know, he comes visit me in the home, I'll give him some... Then I'll attach him to the will. Then I'll attach him to the thing. He is rich... He comes by, he talks to me. In time, he may lose his wealth. He is strong in time, he may lose his strength. He is handsome in time, he may lose that. Conditional aspects, you know, they stop visiting because of various reasons. You're not going to love them anymore. In time, you lose that. True love needs to build a foundation of permanence on the entire person. Understand there are much more aspects involved than than your one fakakta condition. There are much more aspects involved than your needs. You have to think about the other person's needs. Not just me, me, me. What did you do for me? Why did you mess it up? Think about yourself. Maybe you did something. Maybe you caused some aspect. Maybe you caused some problem. Don't always blame everything on the other person. Try to be introspective. I've been seeing a therapist for a, for a while now, every week, and it really helps in the moments to understand different life aspects, different life things. I've been working on my anger or like working on my losses, but working on different relationships that I did and did not get to have in my life, different aspects of my life. And the therapist gets me to realize to work on myself. People can always blame everyone else for every single thing, but you really need to work on yourself. See what issues you have. I know I have to deal and work on anger. I know I have to deal on impatience and this and that struggle and that difficulty and whatnot. I have to work on me. I can only work on me. You have to work on yourself. I cannot fix you. I cannot fix your problems. You fix yourself, and you give how you can give in the best way. Be generous. Do what you can. Do what you can. Understand the key essence of what it means to be involved in a commitment, what it means to properly work on myself, on yourself, work on your relationship with your spouses, your friends, your family, and relationships with Hashem as well. Jews for Judaism points out on their website an organization, amazing organization, that strengthens and preserves Jewish identity by responding to religious coercion, promoting critical thinking skills, and providing spiritual guidance and support. Jewsforjudaism.org, amazing. As far as slogans go, the Oakland Raider 
NFL franchise had it right. They marketed their team to the world with the catchphrase commitment to excellence. By and large, the Al, the Al Davis-owned club of the 70s and 80s lived up to that motto. Of course, commitment to excellence is a concept not restricted to professional sports. It is a mantra one should intone while setting out to accomplish anything in life. In Jewish living, it is imperative. For starters, commitment means loyal devotion to the cause of upholding a unique legacy in the world. Legend has it that when the Torah was revealed to Har Sinai over 3,000 years ago, it was offered to the other nations of the world, where taught the ancient people such as the Canaanites, the Babylonians, the Ishmaelites, and others were given the opportunity to accept this divinely inspired system of living. However, as representatives of these nations inquired as to what was written in this legal document, they demurred. Each one had an objection. This one did not want to give up theft. The other one refused to abandon a career of bloodshed. Another one did not want its immoral lifestyle to be cramped. Sure enough, only one nation was willing to take the plunge, the Jews, the Israelites. There are variations to this legend and diverse explanations as to exactly how the law was presented, but the gist of the story teaches a profound lesson in commitment. Regardless of ideological or ethnic background, constant challenges are imposed on a person's independence and individual freedom while trying to fulfill tenets of one's belief. Commitment to a cause or spouse often entails making uncomfortable decisions and compromises. Commitment can spawn ambivalence because of its attendant assumptions. Some may assume, for example, that commitment at work means long hours and greater productivity, while to others it may mean self-sacrifice for the sake of the team. In marriage, commitment implies changing from the individual I to the collective I or the collective we. In other words, making decisions with another person in mind. Is this the best job for me and my wife? What a great way of looking at it. Not, is this the best job for me? Very selfish. Selfless. Is this the best job for my wife and my kids? I have. A th- I happen to think that the, the DOE, the city, has a way to go in terms of you know family care and how much focus they give on the family. I think it's not nearly good enough. I think we're taking care of everyone else's kids, so they don't really let me take care of my kids. How awesome would it be to get full paid leave for the first three years of a baby's life? We'll pay you. You take care of our kids for 30, 35, 40 years. You could take a couple of years each time you have a kid. We'll fully pay you. We want you to be happy in your life and happy with us. Nope, they don't do that. Only recently... When I had kid number three, only recently did they finally get paid parental leave. You know that women and, and, and parents, men, had to take and borrow days. You get one day per month you work and you bank your days. You could use them. You had to take your days in order to take leave. How absurd. Backwards. Now they finally give six weeks paid parental leave. Even that's not nearly good enough. You know, Switzerland or Sweden gives a whole year of paid leave off. How awesome is that? Amazing. Not good enough, but... You think about it, another person of mine. Yes, the benefits are very good, and the hours are very good. The salary is decent, and it pays the whole year. It's wonderful. I'm able to be home at a great time, and I usually make it in time to pick up my boys from school, God willing, the girly next year. I love that. you got to think about the other person of mine. Yeah, I can make more money at another job, but at what cost to the detriment of who? So I should work a 9-to-7 job, not 9-to-5, because you got to factor in the, the commuting to and fro for a little more money. But what? I can't do any help with the cooking. I can't do any help with the laundry or bedtime. How is that helpful? How is that having anyone else in mind? A Talmudic passage teaches that couples should strive to achieve the domestic tranquility symbolized by the dove. One interpretation of this metaphor is that the dove keeps its partner for life. Secondly, a dove, like other graceful birds, is as comfortable soaring in the heavens as it is perched on a tree limb. 
the salient message for couples in these two explanations is one of profound consequence. Firstly, it is a commitment to stay together. In the throwaway society we mentioned before that we live in today, we have been conditioned to think in terms of why bother to fix it when we could buy a newer one cheaper? The logic follows that if it applies to automobiles, computers, clock radios, why can't it apply to marriages? God forbid. Indeed, many liberal-minded mental health professionals counsel married couples in precisely this fashion. Growing apart? Don't see eye to eye? Not getting enough out of the relationship? Why bother going through the trouble of working on it when dissolution is so simple? Irreconcilable differences is a fakakta term, ridiculous, that Hollywood uses almost every single divorce. Ridiculous. Irreconcilable differences, my foot. You just don't want to work. You just don't want to put in the effort. You don't want to put in the commitment. How about remembering the dove and our vows and check to see if we're honoring our commitments before abandoning ship? Judaism believes in the sanctity of the relationship and properly nourishing it every single day. I guarantee if you set as priority every day, sitting down with your spouse doing something, your relationship will flourish like never before. I am not a marriage expert. I am not a Shalom Bias Task Force expert, but I believe it is of paramount importance. Yeah, I could go out with the guys. My wife could go out with the girls, but we're not that kind of relationship. We want to spend time together each night. Literally laughing together, watching something together, and on Friday nights in Yom Tov, reading something next to each other is the best. And sometimes we'll have game nights too, and sometimes we'll do fun uh, out-of-the-box date nights in the house, sometimes outside also. you got to make it every single day. you got to make a commitment every single day. You know, and a lot of times we'll add food to the mix, so I'll get a very cute uh, gluten-free snack. We tried this other one the other day, really, really good. Katz's makes really good stuff. And sometimes we'll have fancy food or sometimes popcorn. It just, you know, it makes a wonderful experience. And who wants to go out to the movie theater and pay $60? You can buy a movie in the house. You can have your subscriptions to Hulu, Amazon, Netflix, Hallmark Movies. Now, you have tons of choices. It's easy to nourish it every single day. When I hear of people where the guy sits on the couch, watches his own stuff till 2 in the morning, 4 in the morning, and the wife, you know, does her own stuff, it's so sad. Why can't you spend time together? And I don't mean, you know, going out to celebrate something with a, a little pit of ice cream. Really, being a little lavish. What are you hoarding onto the money anyway to? For 120 years, it's not going to stay with you. Money is like a galgal. That's why the Gemara talks about what we talked about last week. Money is called zuz. It moves. It constantly moves. You can hoard it today, but it's not going to be here tomorrow. Use it for something nice. Embellish a relationship. Go to a fancy dinner. Go to a fancy overnight. Go to a hotel. Enjoy time together. You know, go away. Get away. Do something nice. Do something to nourish the relationship. Celebrate a 10-year anniversary. You're 15, 20, 25, 30, 40. Doesn't mean taking some ice cream to the park. That's a first date idea. That's not a 20 years, 30 years, 40, 50 years together kind of an idea. Do what you can to really nourish it. You know, we want to wanna celebrate. We celebrate it. We passed the 10-year milestone. And Baruch Hashem, we hope to go away for a night. A really beautiful thing. Even if I'm going to take takeout from some store. But at least to have the night together. Someone else watching the kids. To really nourish the idea. Really, really nourishing what you can. The dove is as comfortable and terra firma as it is in the friendly skies. This means, as a metaphor, that one should strive to achieve in a marriage a level of connection and love to one's spouse that it no longer matters who is giving and who is receiving. When both are content with either scenario, the couple knows that they've reached the level of the collective eye. Marriage is not 50-50. It's 100-100. Everyone giving as much as possible to each other. Likewise, when there is pain and suffering for one, the other should experience it as his or her own. 
The story is told of a great sage, who I believe was Rabbi Arya Levine, the Tzadik of Yerushalayim, who lived in Israel during the first half of the previous century. He paid a visit with his wife to the podiatrist, who warmly greeted the couple as they entered the office. The physician then asked the rabbi what seemed to be the problem. Without pretentiousness or hesitation, the venerable sage announced, My wife's foot is hurting us. Brilliant. My wife's foot is hurting us. How many of us can express ourselves in daily life with this type of commitment, connection, and concern for our spouses? Next time you ponder a new commitment, climb up that mental diving board with courage and conviction. Yes, commitments contain unknowns, some warn of possible failure. It is common for people to neither jump nor climb back down the ladder, but rather to stay stuck to the end of the board. Rather than stay stuck to the end of the board, immobilizing pros, cons, obstacles, and worries, think about what really is better for you and your spouse, really what's better for your spouse and kids. In the state of mind, the obstacles begin to rule, obscuring the vision, blending motivation. Life is too short to indulge in what-ifs. As an eminent Civil War poet once said, of all things said of mouth and pen, the saddest indeed are it might have been. If we can improperly incorporate the idea of what might it mean to really commit, to never quit, to not be conditional, to work on ourselves and not blame anyone else, see what's wrong in our lives with us, what we might have done wrong, to push someone away, to to have someone close them off or to do what not, to see what's wrong or what's indifferent, find out what we can do to fully give, to fully be generous, to fully involve the spouse, other people in our lives to make sure to incorporate how to give, how to prioritize our spouses, our kids, figure out how to live out each day, then we have a real recipe for wonderful interactions and relationships, which hopefully bring real peace, not only in our homes, but in the world at large. What can we do? What can we do to really give, to really push, to make sure that we are committed, committed in our lives, committed in our marriages, committed in the world at large, to be people who are involved in giving, generously giving, unconditionally giving. You think I give because I want anything in return? We have a library out of our basement. We purposely want to give. Half the time the books don't come back, but that's okay. I like to give. I don't know where it came from. I don't know how it came about. You know, some people are book hoarders, some people are paper hoarders, some people are, are narishkite knickknacks and tchotchke hoarders. No, I want other people to use. I've been very much debunking over the past couple of weeks, and it feels exhilarating. I love it. I haven't used this machine in 20, 20 years. I haven't used this book or that book, that item. Who needs 15 of the same thing? Let other people use it. Let other people enjoy it. Some things I do sell, but other things I just give because I like to give. I like it to be generous without anything in return, and I don't want to toot my own horn. Baruch Hashem, the Gemara talks about Thursdays. Being born on a Thursday, you want to give, you want to be generous. I was born on a Thursday. I think it's in my nature. It could be opposite of other people. It could be not tied to the upbringing. It could be the opposite. It could be whatever. But in life, to be generous, not to be stingy. Ah, you're making life so hard for me. No, I love having guests. Yes, it's hard to have guests, but I'm not going to be, you know, annoyed about it. I'm going to be happy about it. I actually love to have guests. I love to give, you know, it's complete opposite of how other people think. I'd rather do nothing all Shabbos, every Shabbos, never have people. Why can't it just be, no, I don't want it to just be me and you. I want to share the joy of Shabbos, share the joy of Torah lifestyle, a Torah household with the kids and everyone around. I love that. 
you know, we we can have it. You know, my wife is running a silent auction in school, and one of the prizes is to have lunch at Mora Gutterman's house, and one of the students won. I think that's a beautiful thing to give, to show, to have them join us for a meal. I love that. She's working in town now in the local school, and it's a beautiful thing to see all our students out and about in the town. I love that. We went to a bar mitzvah the other week. I wheeled her and the kids to the local shul. Such a nice thing. Such a beautiful thing. I love it. It's really great. You have to give. You have to give. Be generous in nature. To be generous in life. Put your spouse first in all of your commitments. Be there as much as you can. Be really committed. Be committed. Part two. Be really committed to make this world better every single day. Join us next time here on Tani Talks Radio where we talk a topic for the week for the audience members to keep. And I'm your host, Tani.